And now, do you like Prince movies? Hey, everybody, this is Do You Like Prince Movies? I'm Alex Papadimus. I'm Wesley Morris. Happy, happy Oscar recovery. And before we go one step farther, uh, I need to dis- I need to run something by you really quickly. We're going to talk about the Academy Awards this week. We're going to talk about the excellent Argentine film Wild Tales or Relados Salvajes. And we're going to talk about the rock criticism of Robert Criscow, who just put out a new book uh, based on his. It's a memoir, basically, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. And uh, I want to run something by you, though, before we get started. Go for it. I'm ready. Uh, I mean, so, you know, I get these emails, as you do, about things that are happening in the world. And, That's how I find um, out, yeah, what things are happening. And so I got one this week about a fine motion picture coming to us in this year on November 25th from Warner Brothers and Metro Goldwyn Mayer from Academy Award winning filmmaker Ryan Coogler. It explores a new chapter in the Rocky story. It stars Academy Award nominee Sylvester Stallone in his iconic role. The film also reunites Coogler with his Fruitvale Station star, Michael B. Jordan, as the son of Apollo Creed. I was going to (laughs) say... I for a second I was wondering how they were going to pull that off in terms of it, 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 it with Stallone you know like what kind of time loop reboot Star Trek thing they were going to have to do to bring back Apollo Creed but now I get it can I continue oh there's more I was already I sold just, uh, that was me being sold I was I was already yeah but please I just want to I just want to read you the the press release plot synopsis very briefly it is it is one paragraph in three sentences long bear with me adonis johnson played by michael b jordan you also, never knew his you still you, you have me even more by the way that was it <laughs> all right renee zelliger adonis johnson go on adonis johnson never knew his famous father world heavyweight champion apollo creed who died before he was born. Still, there's no denying that boxing is in his blood. So Adonis heads to Philadelphia, the site of Apollo Creed's legendary match with a tough upstart named Rocky Balboa. Once in the city of brotherly love, Adonis tracks Rocky down and asks him to be his trainer. Despite his insistence that he is out of the fight game for good, Rocky sees in Adonis the strength and determination he had known in Apollo, the fierce rival who became his closest friend. Agreeing to take him on, Rocky trains the young fighter, even as the former champ is battling an opponent more deadly than any he faced in the ring. I Uh, wonder what that could be. It's got to be. It has to be like a disease, right? It has to be some kind of an illness, an opponent more dead. It's got to be that. Creed also stars Tessa Thompson as Bianca, a local singer-songwriter who becomes involved with Adonis. With Adonis. Felicia Rashad yes. as Mary Ann Creed, Apollo's widow. 
an English pro boxer and former three-time ABA heavyweight champion Anthony Bellew as boxing champ pretty Ricky Conlon. <laughs> That's always the best part in the Rocky movie is the the, the, the one part that's played by the real boxer. The, uh, what, you know, who's, who's Tommy Gunn in, uh, I have, I have three five. sounds. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. And, mm. Can, can Rocky really make the case to anybody credibly in one of these movies that he's out of the fight game and that there's no, there's no pulling him back? I mean, it's gotta be every, every single time. You know, he just gets he just gets pulled back in. Nobody like anybody who knows anything about his career, anybody who has read in the Rocky universe. There's presumably a Rocky Balboa Wikipedia page uh, that Adonis Johnson can read from and sort of see like, yeah, he said he was out of the fight game this time, this time and this time. But he kept coming back. I don't know. I'll watch it. I'll watch it. My in-laws are from Philadelphia. The Rocky movies are when there's a Rocky marathon on. It's just kind of on. It's just there. So I will see it, but I predict that I will probably see it as part of the, the late in the day on a Rocky marathon day. I'm, Speaking as a Philadelphian myself, I, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> These things, I mean, do you think they're really going to shoot in Philadelphia? I mean, I, I maybe yeah, they are. Maybe they have. The maybe, maybe they have. Second unit. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. This 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 themes. This seems also kind of wrapped. It's coming in November. I think they're done. So it it either it either did or did not shoot in Philadelphia. I hope it was Philadelphia and not Toronto. It's um, got to be. Look, you got to at least they will like the art museum stairs. They'll do it. They have to do something. Are eat a, you know sort of eating a cheesesteak in the montage somewhere, and then you know the, the, the rest of it can be Toronto. Yeah, he's going to go to Pat's and have a cheesesteak in Toronto. Is what I'm is what I'm predicting. While training, while while running, can we go? I don't know. Adonis Johnson. That's great. Yeah. That's just great. That's I don't know. Well, the point is, we'll be talking about this on our November twenty eighth podcast, so it won't be an issue. <laughs> But they're really giving you a lot of time to prepare. That's great. The November yeah. we got. I just wanted everybody to. I just wanted everybody to 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 get ready. Yeah, to, get your you know, affairs in order for. Yeah, for November twenty fifth, we'll be right back to talk about the Academy Awards. One day, when the glory comes, it will be ours. It will be ours. Oh, one day. When the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure. So, Wesley, I don't know about you. I mean, I do kind of know about you, but I tend to, I tend to hate Oscar season so, so much. I really resent what it does to movies and what it forces us to spend our time thinking about and all of those things. And I hate it to the point that, and I'm not going to spend the rest of this segment complaining about it because all that stuff is over, all the campaigning and all the wondering about what's going to happen and the prognosticating. We can kind of complain about it because you, we never had an Oscar conversation. It's fine. No, because I hate, hate it. it. Yeah, I, look. I, but here's the thing. This is – no, I don't want to – I don't even want to. But to what I forget, because I hate this thing so much, I forget how much I actually enjoy the Oscars as this weird, dumb, overlong TV show that's on once a year. 
I really enjoy that as an event, and I, I always sort of reconnect with it, even when it's bad, and also, like, it's usually better when it's bad. I For some reason, there's something comforting about it being bad, and when people complain about the show being not good this year or whatever, I... I it's never good, and that's what I like yeah. about it. It's it, there's something comforting about that. It's it's always that way. That seems that seems fair. That I watched fair. it this year on a time delay without reading the Twitter, not in some virtuous kind of way. But I am uh, I've, I've I was a single parent this weekend. My wife is out of town. I did not have my partner in crime to make fun of it with. And I was watching it at a different time. So it was weird. I didn't want to be watching it on Twitter and then experiencing it. So I kind of just put the phone aside and didn't pay any attention to the narratives and the memes that were developing and everything. And I had a pretty good time for somebody watching the Oscars alone in a house. Uh, nothing to do with anything that, you know, and whatever won things. I don't know. There were a few things that I was happy about. But Okay. Well, let's, let's yeah, talk about okay. the winners. All right. So what were some things that you were happy about? Well, because I did not uh, was not privy to the uh, backstage I I interactions and everything, I was like, "Good for you, Patricia Arquette." And then you wake up the next morning, it's like Patricia Arquette, burn the witch, declares war <laughs> on, <laughs> on declares all. war on gays, minorities, literally calls down the race war. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was weird, right? We really just needed we need somebody. To pillory after one of these things. Somebody has to, you know, it's it, like, I, I don't know. I, well, let's keep going with who we like. Then we can go into like. I was happy for stuff. Patricia Arquette. I was happy for Patricia Arquette. I was happy for Julianne Moore. Legend. Happy for Julianne Moore. Legend. And yes. actually yes. underrated for what. Ooh, for what she's I'm not disagreeing accomplished. with Accomplished. I didn't see this movie that she won for. That's not what I'm talking about. It's a hot mess, but she's very good at That's it. That's what I hear. I hear it's not a good movie, but she's really good in it. She and Kristen Stewart are very good. But there's just so much just richness in that in that filmography. I'm okay with her getting something that's kind of a, like, let's, you know. Like Oops, we should have given it to you six other times. Yeah, because there's actually, like, at least, I would say at least four good examples of times that she should have won, movies she should have won for. Um, yes. Safe and Boogie Nights and all, you know, whatever. Uh, that's safe for sure. Oh, man. And yeah, I know. all right. So I was psyched about that. Mm -hmm. What else? I'm trying to think like, OK, what else? What were you, what were you into? I'm not, let's, let's not pause uh, for my thinking about it, for my trying to recall I this. I have to say I was I mean, some of the, I mean, everything that 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 I guess should have. I mean, all that was predicted came true by the by our oscar prognosticators um i was happy to see whiplash win best film editing it means that somebody was paying attention i don't know um i that agree was that was those a well deserved movies. yeah i mean i think i think it was for me boyhood and and, and grand budapest hotel i thought were of those five movies the best edited um Let's see. Costume design. I was happy to see Grand Budapest win, even though I was a big inherent vice booster. Um, but, you know, Milena Cononero, she's excellent at her job. And it was nice to see her celebrated by her peers. Um, what else, like, made me giddily happy? I mean, that's that was kind of it. Uh, I mean, you know, I I don't dislike Birdman. I I am I'm strong on. I understand the people. I understand the dislike for it. 
Um, I also understand that no matter what wins, somebody's going to be like, what the F, man? Um, I was, but, you know, I mean, I think I understand how Birdman wins both cynically and practically. Uh, you know, the obvious thing that people have pointed out is that it's a film about artists and it's a film about the film industry to, to a great extent. It's a film about this idea of artistic integrity. Um, I also think that if you're an Academy member and you've seen both Boyhood and Birdman and Birdman, and you've probably watched both movies on your television set, uh, especially Boyhood, I think you are more likely to see boyhood and be like i don't i don't get it um or like i don't understand what kind of contest we've really got going on here given how this one movie looks birdman which is you know immaculate and clean and it's got these it's got this you know alleged single take um versus boyhood which had you know you know there's two movies basically it's two movies that come down to opposite gimmicks right and I mean, if you're gonna, if you want to call them gimmicks, I don't think I necessarily do. Um, and you know, which one is the better? Which one of these is the better one? Which is the one that we want to hold up as being a, the best example of what it is we we do, uh, and you know what we aspire to be. I thought that the sort of the real independence aspect of of Boyhood, not the fact that it took twelve years to make. But that it really does sort of represent like what I believe to be the independent spirit of American movie making. And it is just like, as you and I have discussed, a very moving movie. I mean, regardless of like how it looked relative to, to Birdman, I don't know. It's just hard. I mean, and I guess maybe that's what given the Oscar to Patricia Arquette was about. I mean, she is good irris- irrespective of the movie's ultimate goodness. Um, but, you know, again, I'm also open to people who don't find it that spectacular a movie in the first place. I mean, I, I hear you. I don't necessarily agree, but I know that there are people out there who feel that way. Yeah, I think there's also, I, I think you're right about the context having an effect, the context in which voters probably saw these two movies making sense. I think the thing that Birdman is doing probably play i haven't watched it on a tv you know i saw it in a theater but i bet that plays on tv and i bet you can get that the the buzz from that comes through Mm -hmm. in a screener Mm -hmm. kind of screener watching kind of context more so than boyhood where a lot of what's going on a lot of what's moving about that is Linklater putting these really small almost insignificant moments that are not big biopic moments in somebody's life putting those on screen and seeing those on a giant screen and sort of treated with, you know, with that sort of epic quality that, that, you know, the weird kind of paradoxical kind of tiny, tiny epic sort of kitchen sink epic aspect. I bet if you watch that skeptically on a a screener, that doesn't necessarily work. And also Mm -hmm. I think like if you can get up and go to the restroom and stuff like that and, you know, go make a sandwich during boyhood, I bet that saps some of it. You know, in a way that actually, like in, in Birdman, I would have liked that option. <laughs> At certain moments, I would have liked right, to be able sure. to step away from Birdman and go check my email and, you know, whatever. Like, uh, you know, I, yeah, and I, I, I get that. I, I, and I totally get the argument. There's the, you know, I think uh, the, the Andrew O'Hare wrote a piece in Salon, like right before in a lot of the days leading up to 
mm-hmm. the awards that I thought really nailed a lot of things about you know why certain things were destined to happen I, I forget i don't even know how many things it wasn't about prognosticating exactly like picking it correctly but it sort of there was it was the best explanation i've read for why birdman is the thing that's going to win and why it's about you know in the sense that this award show is about hollywood's idea of itself and it's about hollywood's what's hollywood's notion of its best self and that's what's going on, you know, that, that idea of like some of an artist just putting it all out there, really trying something ambitious and like maybe he's going to fail and that sort of like fear of it all collapsing and everything like that's, you know, th- that's what that voting base is going to respond to. Uh, you know, at the same time, like they're also just they're also they're all 80 like we, we found out this year. So, you know, yeah. they're going to be well, impressed we've found, by something I mean, like that. We've, we've known for a number of years that this has been the case. But I think this was the year that we most <laughs> talked about it, though, because we were in the, the conversation about Selma and things like that. Like, we really found out, like, we're reminded, I think, you know, you, you can sort of know that abstractly, you know? It's like Congress right, or right. something. Like, you kind of know that about it, and then you sort of, you're like, oh, wow, really? That's, yeah. So I feel like this was the year that we really found that out. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm not... I. I, I'm kind of I, I sort of resent Birdman, but I, I I pretty much checked out of any real dog in the fight rooting interest in who was going to win Best Picture because I wasn't about I I totally see why Boyhood doesn't win. It's almost it's almost better if Linklater doesn't have a Best Picture Oscar. Like that's weird. It'd be weird mm-hmm. if that was the sort of that was the end result. <clears throat> you know, if that it would, I, I'm I'm fine with that being not a thing that the Oscars uh, reward. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I, I yes, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with that. But also, I like that a that group of of best picture nominees. By the way, I mean, I thought, I mean, I do not like Imitation Game at all. But it's it's such an Oscar movie, and technically an Emmy movie, if if you don't mind my saying so. Um, Cable Ace movie, the Cable <laughs> Ace Award winner. Yeah, <laughs> Imitation Game. Uh, the same with Theory of Everything. I, I, I just I have a lot of questions for certain branches of the Academy. A lot of them this year have to do with the acting branch. Uh, setting aside, you know, hashtag Oscar so white or you know that that whole situation. I mean, I I can't be mad at the Academy. They didn't have any. They had one option. <laughs> you know, I'm, I mean, technically, you and I have discussed the many more options they really had, but I mean. You know, there just were no, there was no momentum for people like uh, Chadwick Boseman, who played James Brown, or Andre Benjamin, who played Jimi Hendrix. Um, there was just a, you know, not enough momentum for David Yellowo, who played Martin Luther King. But I have questions about like how, like, what do actors see Felicity Jones doing that I, as an actor, do not see? Do you know what I mean? What do they see Kira Knightley doing? I mean, it's like I just I, I I it makes me sad because Kira Knightley, who if you've seen a dangerous method, you know that you know she has given you know a like a you know a career performance. I think. Did you see that by the way? Uh, no, I did not. You were to watch that and call me as soon as you're done. I will do that. Uh, yeah, she was really good in 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 uh, in a dangerous method. That great that you know almost great david cronenberg movie that came out a couple years ago um i don't know i mean i like Kira knightley so much but i found that performance to be a little conventional and i thought the character was conventional i mean she did the most she could with it i just wonder like what you know what 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 the actors see in a felicity jones or a Kira knightley and how those two names get on their respective get on the ballot in their respective categories enough times to be a nominee 
versus, I mean, off the top of my head, I don't know who would have, uh, like, the snubs elude me at the moment in the supporting actress category. But, I mean, there were people who I would have liked to have seen nominated. But I, I, that's sort of an ongoing question. And, you know, places like The Hollywood Reporter do these great things where they talk to Academy members to explain what they'll be putting on their ballots. And um, this year, ballot number nine was just, uh, I think, a variety, uh, Hollywood Reporter called it uh, the brutally honest ballot number nine. Um, you're just, you know, I think those people are trolls, by the way. I think they're saying <laughs> these things on purpose to upset. I don't know, Alex. <laughs> I, mean, I have, I guess I want to believe that. I guess I you, wa- I, yes. you want to believe that it's, that it, that it's trolling. I want to believe that it's trolling, but I know that it's not. I'm joking when I say that because no, it's okay, interesting good, to because... read those. No, I don't actually think that. No, no. I believe that actually those people believe the things that they're saying for the people who, for anybody who's not read these, that it they were they were revealing because there was a lot of talk about you just re, you just realize that the people who vote are different from you and me you know that they're sort of they think mm-hmm. about these things differently because they're in the industry and there is a certain element of inside industry thinking that just doesn't occur to us like you know the there was something about you know i i think was it was it jk simmons Somebody was making the argument for J.K. Simmons in addition to – I think it was something like I didn't see Whiplash, but he's been in yes, yes, so many yes. episodes of episodic television that it's his time. And that's just one of those things – like I like that performance and I knew he was going to win and he deser- he deserves it. It's cool. Like, but, there were, there was, but that there was a contingent of people who were just like, I love those insurance commercials. And I did a I did an episode of Foz with him. That's what it is. Yes. Let him have it. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, yeah, I did a Law and Order with him at one point. He was a pro. He showed up, knew his lines. <laughs> that kind of. I mean, it's it's that kind of voting thing. And so you can't you can't expect it to. I thought those were important because you actually it's a reminder that you can't expect this to because then the you know the pieces they're like you know, the morning after pieces are written about like oh the ratings are down it's because they don't understand like what people the real you know Joe moviegoers and it's that's of course they don't they never have but you know I but this is this is sort of a what would what would what were the president what's his term what's his favorite term that is a false oh, what's President Obama's term for something that's a that, where, where something is not really the thing, it is like that's a, it's not a smokescreen. Anyway, everybody in the world knows this, but me. Canard. Um, no, he, it's not. He doesn't a, say yes, canard. it's a canard, but it's 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 something else. That's a false choice. These are false choices. This is false dichotomy. This, no, it's false choice. If okay. that's the that's that I think that's his phrase. These are I mean, and it doesn't really apply here. I'm misremembering it, but some kernel of what I'm saying is is a sort of false choice scenario, in which every year. That the ratings are down or before you before the show even airs, there's this conversation about how the Academy and the public have nothing to do with each other. And the and the best picture nominees are not movies that the public even knows exist. But I don't that's only become increasingly true as the campaign has turned more political. I'd, I mean, if you look at the if you look at like the best picture nominees from you know, 25 years ago or 26 years ago, at least two or three of them were box office hits. And they were people, there were movies that people wanted to see. But I don't think it's the, I don't know. I'm not, I can't speak for everybody who does or does not watch the Academy Awards, but 
one of the things for me was that as a as a as a kid anyway, and you know as a person who has a who's fairly steeped in Academy Award history, the the discrepancy between what the Academy thinks is is a very good movie and what the public thinks is a very good movie aren't always the same thing. But I think the thing that people go to the movies for and what the Academy wants to hold up as being the best of what it does, there's no inherent reason for those things to overlap. And, you know, you get these stories every year, like you got one just the other day about how, you know, the ratings are down, but that's because American Sniper had no chance of winning anything. And, you know, no one had seen Selma. Not enough people had seen Selma. But I think the thing that annoys me about that line of argument is that the release dates of these movies is kind of crazy. They don't come out in enough time for people to see them. And they just become what people refer to as Oscar movies. And The Imitation Game came out, I would say, early enough. And that, be, I mean, it's a hit. It is, it's made a lot of money for, for what it is. It made $80 million so far. Um, and it's the sort of, and, you know, Grand Budapest Hotel is the most successful Wes Anderson movie ever. Boyhood is a hit. I mean, these movies are all relative to what they are. They are, they are, they are successful movies. And uh, American Sniper being sort of like a like a <laughs> an example of that on on performance enhancing drugs. <laughs> it's made a you know nine hundred million dollars <laughs> this weekend. Yeah. And I just think the presumption that people think it's the best picture of two thousand fourteen is. I mean, I, I can't say what the what the millions and millions and millions and millions of people who've seen it would have won whether they would have wanted it to win. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's part of this conversation. It isn't as though it's not part of the conversation. I think the ultimate winner is a different story that you tell. But I think the story of the eight nominees tell is a really interesting story about what movies that year were. And I think those eight movies tell a really good story as well as well as the two or three that were probably right on the edge, like Gone Girl um, or Foxcatcher. I mean, I think those are movies, but I mean, especially something like Gone Girl, which was a huge hit and probably people were thinking should have been part of that conversation. I, I mean, I, I respect what those best picture nominees are. I don't really think the voting, I think that the changing of the rules for the voting process, which is way more elaborate now than it, than it was, you know, like 10 or 12 years ago. Um, I don't know. I just I just find that dis that discrepancy between what the best picture what the best picture nominees are versus what the top of the box office is. It just is that's I don't think those I don't think the discrepancy between those two things means Hollywood doesn't know what the what the American public wants. They're giving you the things that are at the top of the box office. <laughs> I mean it's it's the public's choice and I think with American Sniper the brilliant thing about that movie maybe the only brilliant thing about it besides Bradley Cooper's performance is the marketing. I mean, it's just brilliantly marketed and that they Warner brothers spent the mo the money to make that movie a hit or to at least put it in, in a, put itself in a winning position. Um, and you know, something like whiplash as you and I have discussed on this show did not, 
You know, it was reliant on a whole other business model for success. And I guess it paid off. I mean, I haven't talked to Sony Pictures Classics about this. Um, but, I mean, I'm sure they would say they're happy. And I'm sure IFC would say it's thrilled with what happened to Boyhood. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like the the way this conversation has to happen about what is good and bad about the Oscars versus what is happening in the sort of public movie going sphere. It has to change because it's way more subtle and way more interesting and dynamic than the Academy is out of touch. I just don't, I don't buy that. Yeah. And I also think if you look at those best picture nominees, the interesting thing to me is that except for Eddie Redmayne winning for imitation game, the movies that are look like Oscar movies kind of shut out, right? Like the movie, right. like Imitation Game and Theory of Everything, that those are those are like fake Oscar movies from Entourage. Like they're so perfect in their own way. It's like one of those things where it's like Vincent Chase like, plays Vinny, <laughs> Queens Boulevard Two is up for Best Picture, but it's up against the Stephen Hawking movie, and it's so perfect. Like if those, are, I see what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah, so like that's what's different to me. It's it. The, you know, it's it, like the narrative is like, the, the, oh, the Academy only likes this oh, one kind of movie that regular people don't like. But actually, those movies didn't do that well this year. It wasn't that big of a – they were not really a, that much of a factor. And it's almost like for some reason, Eddie Redman gets an Oscar, like, just thrown at him, you know, for like – Well, I mean, but he does the classic Oscar thing. I mean, yes, you know, with all due true. respect to Eddie Redman's performance, I mean, he does something that is very appealing to the to, – to people who act and people who don't act because it looks like acting. Yes. Like it just it, it 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 has all the things that you hope for in a piece of acting to tell you that the actor is indeed acting. And you know, versus someone like Michael Keaton who, you know, is obviously giving a performance but it isn't you know, all the stop. I mean, and I like I don't like theory of any of everything at all. Um but the thing that I do like about it is is Eddie Redmayne and I mean, not for those reasons. I just feel like, and I've said this before, he reminds me of Hillary Swank in that, you know, there's a kind of goodness that comes through him that is sort of an intangible. And I don't know if that's what people are responding to as much as they're responding to the fact that, you know, he makes this physical transformation that, again, that just sort of like, this is what acting is. It's classic Oscar um, honoring that, you know, trans yeah. somebody, you know, and, you know, playing whatever. Yeah. Other than that, though. Those that's the thing like those in in the scenario that is being described when people say the Oscars are out of touch with the movie going public. Those are the movies I feel like that that go places, whereas instead you have, uh, you know, the kind of magnum opus of one of the sort of like, you know, major independent filmmakers of the, you know, the of to emerge in the 90s. You know, you have Richard Linklater with Boyhood, you know, you have Birdman, which would have been a weird outlier in like 1994, it would have mm -hmm, been the thing that mm -hmm. sort of doesn't get anything, you know, and sort of like, right. I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it, yeah, it's weird. It's the thing that would have won screenplay. Although I think that screenplay right. would be the weakest thing about that movie in a weird way. Yeah, I agree. And like, you know, it would have lost to Forrest Gump. Right. It would have lost to Forrest Gump and everybody, all the yeah. bourbon people would have been like, Oh God, again. But you know, I feel like the Academy, I mean, look, the and I, by the way, nominees sorry. were directed by, by, uh, sorry, Alejandro Gonzalez, Inyaritu, Wes Anderson, a black woman named Ava DuVernay, Damien Chazelle, and Richard Linkletter. I don't know. I just feel like that is a really – and yes, Clint Eastwood is in there, but 
I just find that, like, if you look at that group of people, and, you know, Morton Tilden, who is uh, Norwegian, I just find that that collection of movies directed by those people tells a really interesting story about where the movies are going to be in like 15 years Mm -hmm. and we're going to complain we can complain and i think it's right to complain about the fact that there are no people of color nominated for any of the acting awards but i i have to believe and maybe this is me being naive i mean we maybe (laughs) 25 years ago we could have had this conversation and be having it now and i you know, you play this conversation back to me and you're like, Wesley, shut up. You said this 25 years ago. Nothing has changed. But I just feel like a movie that was produced by Oprah Winfrey, a movie that was directed by a, like, what is Damien Giselle? 28, 27? A a movie that, you know, lasts for two hours and 40 minutes and took 12 years to make by Richard Linkletter. And a Wes Anderson movie after all of these years of Wes Anderson making these movies. And this is sort of, it's not like Wes Anderson has made a sellout movie. He's made the Wes Anderson movie of his career. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's like it, these aren't and Birdman is not like Birdman's a weird movie. It's not like whether you like it or not, you have to at least concede that it is not the imitation game or theory of everything. It is just not that. Um, and you have to sort of like not like Birdman on the terms at which it was made. You can't like it because because it's like Hollywood pablum. And in some sense, maybe it is because of you know the sort of shallow things it has to say about being an artist. But as a movie going experience and as a piece of filmmaking, it is the it is an it is it is an anti Oscar movie by the standards by which we 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 define what that type of movie is. I agree. I absolutely agree. I mean, I do think it's interesting. It, it's it's you can totally see why. Yeah, you can totally see why that works. There's a lot of digs at superhero movies during that telecast. There's a uh, weird. That's the other thing. There's oh, a wait, weird. Now we can talk about the show. All right. I just want to say parenthetically, like yes. I'm really glad Ida won best foreign film, uh, best foreign language film. I that's that was my other little happy surprise. That was the hardest category to me as a voter. I wouldn't have known whose name to put a check next to. Same thing with best actress. Actress, if I was a voter, like that was a no-brainer for the Academy, probably. But for me, it was a it was a much more interesting race than than the public than you know, the public discussion around it. Anyway, going to the broadcast, you were saying, oh well, it's okay. So the one thing I find really interesting is, it, you know, Birdman is it is a response to the superhero movie, and it's one of the things that it, one of the many many things that it's doing, uh, one of you know that it's attempting to do. Is sort of respond to superhero movie mania and all that stuff and the idea of, you know, Birdman Force. There's a lot of weird sort of self-loathing jokes about that during the telecast, right? Like there's a, you know, they they try. Liam is brought out to make a (laughs) very sad superhero put down. Superheroes. They try to make a superhero movie. We're hard at that. (laughs) Uh says the man who is in the superhero movie <laughs> and Star Wars. Seriously, you were Dark Man. I mean, it's like it, you made. You and did... it was Dark Man. Oh, who? What are you thinking about? <laughs> no, no, no. I was just. I forgot all of those about movies. The Taken yeah. movies are superhero movies. Come on. Yeah. No. I mean, I'm not. Look, I'm not. I'm not making the funk. <laughs> I like, know what the funk it's is. It's like all of a sudden. That was the thing that I thought was weird. That, that you know, I mean, I know that it's not that the the people who make the Academy Awards show and are not it's not like that's the voters doing it you know it's not like that sort of like they're putting on a production of some sort like there's two it's two separate entities but it it Mm -hmm. is it it, it, 
brain with like two entities that kind of share a consciousness right mm-hmm. and yeah so there's of some course, there's, yes. like there's something going on there's some sort of an internal conflict that we've not up until now really been privy to as members of the audience that you know that hollywood feels bad about this too like there's that's on some level they sort of they feel like this is not you know whatever they whatever they got into it to do it was not this it was not you know sort of comic book adaptations that's not you know that's not filmmaking to them either and it's sort of interesting to watch that happen and that's one of the sort of self-loathing things that comes up in the show and one of the things i thought was you know the, the, the were, you know worked less well anytime you're making a joke about something that you have no ability or really the you know is really even like incentive to fix you know anytime they made jokes about you like so you know like any any all the oscars so white jokes i thought just fell incredibly flat yeah i don't i don't know i mean well we can neil patrick harris is a whole separate yeah look i I mean he didn't write a lot of that material and i'm not certainly was the vehicle for it but because I mean, I I feel like I I talk about the Kobayashi Maru way too much, <laughs> but that is the, hosting the Oscars. No one can do it. No one can do it. Geniuses, the best comedic performers of our time, have I don't been, know. Have been I, okay at it. I I don't know. I feel like John Stewart can't do it. Chris Rock can't do it. I know, but that was a what, and, when and was that Billy though? Crystal. I know, but what I'm saying is it can be done. And I thought Ellen DeGeneres was was pretty good last year. Yeah, and look, I enjoyed. I'm the only person in the world who enjoyed the Franco Hathaway year. But like I said, I, you, I like it you when certainly, it's, you certainly are. I like it when it's bad. <laughs> but no, it's that thing. I mean, you see, I totally see why somebody said like why the Neil Patrick Harris momentum happens to host that show, right? Because it's the well, thing that everybody hosted saying. everything else. He's hosted everything else. You need an old timey song and dance man. There's not that many people, which is how Seth MacFarlane gets it because it's like, oh, he does Sinatra covers. Like it, it's it's I totally get it, like why that happens. And it's the worst gig in the world. You can't if Although you're, if I you're memorable, that... it's anything you do that's memorable is always bad. I, I don't like. know. I feel like Ellen will forever be remembered as the woman who took that amazing selfie. Like that. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like Billy Crystal will always be remembered for those opening musical numbers. And Whoopi Goldberg will always be remembered for the time she came out as Dame Judi Dench uh, from Shakespeare in Love. I mean, there are lots of there are lots of things that really and says I am the African Queen. That was the line that sort of brought the house. And it was like, I mean, there were a lot of great. There are a lot of, I mean, not all hosts have to die in infamy. Um, and I think that Neil Patrick Harris, I don't know, I've never hosted a sh- an award show before. But you know who has? He has. And I feel like he didn't, I don't think he looked at that job as, 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 a, as a cross to bear. I think he really wanted to see if he could do it. And I think that there's something about, the thing about a hosting job, and we learned this with Seth MacFarlane in a negative way that sort of put all the other hosts in a relief to me, which was that, a lot of being a host is sort of it lives separately from the material, right? Like you get this material written for you and you sometimes are a participant in the writing of that material. But then a lot of what like sells it or rescues what doesn't sell is the host's personality and the, the host's sort of philosophical self too. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like the thing that Seth MacFarlane got in trouble to is his default was I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know Seth MacFarlane. I don't think he is a bad person. I think he, you know, he's made quite a living off of being uh, off of a kind of foulness. But I don't I find that there's a kind of there's a good natured dimension to the foulness that I don't think translates 
into live television. And I don't, I think Ellen DeGeneres as a talk show host has the exact opposite way of dealing with a live situation, a live audience and comedy. Um, and I think Neil Patrick Harris is, is ultimately despite his stage work, a television performer. He's been on television his entire, most of his life. Um, and I think that he's good with a script and when he has to leave it, there's a kind of, there's something kind of like unpleasant and, and self-serving about his personality. I mean, at least in a, in the context of the work that he does as a host, um, especially in a room that could turn against him at any minute. And with the Tonys, they're eating out of his hand at the Oscars. They're like, eh, you were Doogie Hauser. What do you got? Um, and I feel like there was a weird need to prove himself, not just as a host, but as a, as a Hollywood citizen in some ways. Um, and, you know, he's also a Twitter age host, unlike the other hosts of that, of that show. I mean, he's somebody who, you know, some of the stuff that he said and did would have probably killed on Twitter, but in a live context, doesn't really, they don't, those things don't really work. Yeah, I think um, it's a hard room too. I, it's I, an impossible room. I feel like people don't laugh at stuff. That's there's a lot of like oh, like there's a lot of groaning, you know, at anything that seems un uh, impolitic. I think it's but a humorless it room in a way. Yes, yes, but in this, but 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 I don't know. Like Whoopi Goldberg and, and Billy Crystal. I mean, they're insiders for one thing. I mean, that really helps, right? Yeah. So when John Stewart and Chris Rock go in to do those sorts of things, there and David Letterman, there's an there's an inherent tension among you know between the host and the room, and I think that Neil Patrick Harris did something like he kept putting his foot in things. I don't know if Octavia Spencer was aware of the oh. fact that he was going to ask her to watch that case oh. for the whole show before before the show started. But, I mean, I think the minute it started, if she had agreed to it beforehand, she immediately regretted it. But I don't think she had agreed to it. And so I think that what happened between the, the, the best and the whitest line that he opened the show with, the Octavia Spencer bit, the David Yellowo speak so well bit, oh. um, singling out Oprah, his, his um, bitches be tripping, yo. Like, the, there were just too many things that set him up as this sort of paragon of like like cheeky prep school whiteness um you know trying to make you know curry favor with the audience by by I don't want to say exploiting black people, but exploiting black people or exploiting <laughs> I mean, blackness. It's kind of it was just weird. It was like it, let's put let's make sure since we've gotten some heat for the whiteness of this show, let's make sure to put some black faces on the screen. But let's not think at all about any about what. It, how do we do, do them? Them. Right, right, right. I mean, like, thought what, just like, stops it, at that point. Like, oh, let's yes. just go seek them out in the crowd, and it's just you know, yeah. Like, what if he had opened the show with instead of Anna Kendrick, who I thought was wonderful and could probably host the show? You know, parenthetically, Anna Kendrick probably host the show. Like, what if he had opened that number with? I don't know. Somebody, I'm trying to think, like Gugu and Bathara, who I don't even like that much, but who can kind of sing and maybe, you know, she could have done that. No, I don't know. Somebody, somebody else. Um, I mean, you know, you, you're you using a person of color to do something more 
to, to do something more than be a punchline or function in a in 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 the way that those people would function in a movie. Well, I don't know. Incredibly I patronizing. Like... Yes, you, yes, you're of totally course. right that the Yellow thing is a he speaks so well bit disguised as a British people, are, but it's not really about him being British. Come no, on. it's about his being black. And of course, you can. I mean, if you really want to go, like the, the Octavia thing is weird too. It's like we we She's so we so trust you not to steal <laughs> that we're going to let you keep an eye on the silver. Like that's he, the, right. Like we're so cool about it. We're like yeah. There's a lot of the, it's it, it's a, it was a weird that was a weird of the ways you could have handled that criticism. And he never tried to get himself out of it either. Like I mean, it seemed like somebody backstage had to have been monitoring Twitter. I mean, I'm assuming that I couldn't have been the only person who was like, WTF, man, what's going on? Yeah, and he was definitely, somebody was feeding him, he has, they always have writers there, and somebody's like feeding him jokes, because there were jokes right, that were references to things. Yeah, that he didn't like take that job away from Octavia Spencer and give it to somebody else. That would have been a whole different optic, but like, somebody back there had to have been clever enough to find a way to like, get him and her out of that situation. Yeah, it could be so, if it had been McConaughey or something like that, yes. anything, just somebody who's like, who should be the butt of jokes it's just like don't it, uh, yeah uh, sure fine um good to see McConaughey. anyway i'm uh, happy yeah, to see what was that though? <laughs> i didn't care i was so happy i just <laughs> i he was great it's just great as I, I said i was like this guy gets to hold on to the title of last year's best actor for, until he dies just forever yeah. he just gets so, just a treasure it'll uh, be a permanent loop of him giving julianne moore an oscar yeah sure it's great i'm i'm totally i would like well i would watch that vine I just um, keep that okay. line on. You sent me a note about Lady Gaga. You were you appear to have been in heaven. I was weirdly in heaven. See, that was and that was the thing. I, I know people got annoyed by that too. That it's the sort of like, it was only annoying as as a production requirement, not as Mark Harris made a really great point about it. Um, that you know, it it was also a 1965 thing that happened. So you have mm-hmm. Selma on the one hand, and then this remembrance of the sound of music on the other. I thought that was a really interesting way to think about it, and it made it sort of slightly less, or it made it more palatable to me. But I just, as I, I think I might have said this somewhere, like I would have liked to have had that 15 minutes maybe given to to Hayao Miyazaki's uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> yeah. Know. Well, that was the thing. You you blow by those lifetime achievements. I love Miyazaki. Like, just he gets three seconds, but he manages to shit on digital in that three right. seconds. He manages to be like, I'm really glad that I got to make movies with a pencil and paper. Psych. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Not psych. Anyway. You know yeah. <laughs> Lady Gaga. Peace. Uh, yeah. yeah, Lady Gaga. Well, I mean, that's a weird thing. I think we you know when when the you know the last record came out. I think we talked about her sort of the looking forward to the the Bette Midlerization of Lady Gaga. But I think no, mm-hmm. none of us were ready for it to happen the following year. Yeah, it, it's yeah. awesome, and she's really she's sort circuited some kind of cycle where she's just she's done them you know she's sort of moved through the madonna thing and now she's actually like she's aging more gracefully than madonna yes that's amazing right yeah she's like she's totally she's i'm gonna do this now which is really smart it's kind of it's like tarantino making jackie brown like when he did Mm -hmm. it's like he made Mm -hmm. his old man movie it's a great when he's a young man with young man's powers and then he can go do whatever and like now lady like lady gaga has now demonstrated an ability to compete in these worlds and she's who knows what she's going to do next yeah, um, she got, and think about yeah. what she did. She time traveled. She got to <laughs> she got to seventy before Beyonce, mm-hmm. before Katy Perry, before Rihanna. Like, I mean, she's cornered an angle 
at, you know, what is she, 28, 29? Uh, you know, she's cornered an ankle 50 years before she had to so that nobody else can get there before she can. And nobody's going to force her to go there. Nobody. She's not right. going to have to be pressed into. Yeah, she's made like she's done the standards album. It's really smart. It's brilliant. It gets I, her off a commercial hook, too. Mm-hmm. Right. So now the next album, it doesn't have to sell 10 zillion copies because it, she's just not she's not in that game anymore. Or she she I mean, at the moment, she's not going for something like that. It's really, 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 it's both disturbing on the one hand, but ultimately it's really shrewd, and she can really sing. Yeah. She sounded great. I thought she sounded amazing. You know, it's usually those things are just are just death in the telecast. Most of the time, you, I think that, you know, they tried this year. It was weird. I found the Everything is Awesome number. That felt to me like, all right, we're we're not necessarily we're not going to recognize Selma, we're not going to recognize the civil rights movement, but hipsters get yep. four minutes. All here's all your stuff that you like is it's like they like Lonely Island and Tegan and Sarah. It was like the Lonely Island, Tegan and Sarah, Batman, Questlove. It just it like the bingo card is full, and like here's the you know it's your opportunity <laughs> like like everybody kind of dancing in their you know Mario worker outfits and all of that stuff. It's a you know as as a uh, white internet hipster person, I, I felt really like my culture was honored by uh, that uh, performance, and I felt recognized and I felt important. So is this the part where I say as as the opposite of that? Uh, <laughs> I was really happy about Glory. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that moment was really, I mean, that was a, I mean, that was, I was a very powerful moment in, in ways. I don't even know that, that John legend and common and the people who sort of staged it really could have anticipated at least from, from my sofa. Like I, like the image of those black people standing at the edge of that stage facing a predominantly white audience was just so under those circumstances, given the year that that movie had and given the, the, the the the, the academy's gotten uh and you know by extension hollywood i just found that optic to be very very striking and very powerful and you know i mean i feel bad for chris pine who i (laughs) i mean that seemed like a profoundly sincere response to me like like both having him held up as the paragon of of you know a kind of hollywood emotionalism and is like ugh white people blah it just whatever dude he respond he cried it's like Felt it seemed, all the feelings it, right i mean david yellow will cry too that wasn't on the front page of most of the blogs no you I mean, know david I mean? yellow was crying too. he was weeping but I okay mean, look you expect that's like david yellow you know has reasons to cry that are sort of you know he was in that movie right <laughs> like he sort of he was also not nominated he has so many things to be sad about yeah i mean and that's his mo- that's his moment it's one of those things where it's like you know that like it, you know you honor these things for the thing that they can win to some extent you know and i feel like you know it's like grand budapest winning production design is kind of like that's the wes anderson version of best picture in a way right right but, right right right. and like this was the same you that's know, a th- great point it was the thing like this has i don't know I, I think it's really interesting that this song which i still believe to be not that great of a song has Agreed. become this vessel for the Although whole thing i but i really did i'm sorry to interrupt you but no i way. really did hear that song for the first time again hearing it on sunday i had never it had never like it, none of it had ever hit me the way that it hit me 
in that moment. The, you know, with the with the bridge and all of those people who weren't all you know the the the, the choir that wasn't in a robe, they were not wearing robes. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the the, the production sold that to me in a way that it had never been sold to me before. Anyway, you were saying that uh, like the thing that is that's what's yeah, just the yeah, I mean I, I agree. I thought you know, I mean I, I feel like in a way because we just seen it on the Grammys, I feel like I felt that way about it on the Grammys to some extent. Mm-hmm. You know that it was this that this was you know that it was going to be anticlimactic after that. But I think you know I don't like this song, but I have really and I'm I have not been I've been out on Common for many years. Lonnie Lynn but I was happy to see Lonnie win an Oscar. I feel like the two of them, they really him, Common and John Legend. I think they really sort of recognize that they are. This is something that is bigger than them as well. And I think that they, every time you see them, sort of get up there and sort of talk about it and accept things and everything. I think that there's something really sort of cool about the way that they, you know, they're they're they're. I feel like they're genuinely humbled by this becoming the thing that it's become. And, yes. and, you know, no, sort of I, like, that's I, agree. Ni- I think that, that's nice to see. Obviously, I think it's weird that we're just like, here's best song for there's your consolation prize. Best song for this movie. Like, I just, it's whatever. But but that also gets to me. That's what's sort of disturbing about the, all the conversations that we've that we've had that have been in the public, both from the studios and from like ballot number nine about like what they think black people in movies are or what they think a black movie is. I mean, listen. You can say whatever you want to say about Selma. Like, reducing it to being some sort of left-wing modern rap thing. <laughs> that was something we should, we is, should say. Like, you for can those say who have not anything. Read, yeah, for those who have not read Ballot Number 9 or whatever, it's not, I don't know that it's number 9 necessarily, but somebody definitely It's said number 9. It's Ballot Number 9. That it is, right. a, like, it is a left-wing modern rap. Like, it's, yeah. That, like, 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 it's a rap musical. You can't about- even make you can't make the farthest thing from a left wing modern rap whatever. It is the without least, it the least right. rapidy it could <laughs> possibly be. There is and a rap yet, song at the end. It's not even a rap song. There's a rap in it. I mean, yes, Look, fine, it's too but much like, rap. That's for, where you're going, right? Yes. It's right. There's any rapping, so therefore it's a rap song. Rap right, is not course. a spice for these people. It is a drop. The, it goes the in one there. drop rule applies <laughs> to what rapping, is this rapping songs. Right. It's not even so, singing. I just feel like uh, you know, if you can't even make a movie about the civil rights movement and Martin Luther King and LBJ. And, you know, Baird Rustin and all the rest without having it be compared to like, like written off as some rap thing. We are F-U-C-K'd. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I know I just gave this whole optimistic thing about what those eight nominees signify about the future of Hollywood. But I also feel like the people like Ballot Number 9 kind of have to die first in order for us to get there. Because, you know... I think there really is this belief that that you that that a black movie is a movie that like is like Kevin Hart is black movies to Hollywood like that is that is black movies, um, you know a slave movie is a black movie to Hollywood like Will Smith and Margot Robbie in 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 Focus that. I don't, I mean, I guess if the movie takes off and it's kind of a hit, like they'll find a way to be like rapidly rap, 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 rap about that movie. But that's, you know? that's Will Smith. It's different. It's like then and the, the, the narrative different. will be like Will Smith is back. That's going to be the narrative. And it's not. Right. That's a well, different... one, one, one can hope. One can only hope. 
Um, but I, I just, I feel like we're in this just like, it makes me very sad to think that like, you know, no matter, this is sort of why the Grammys bother me so much. It doesn't matter how, how respectable you make Mary J. Blige or how you make Beyonce or how you make Usher, like in the, in the larger thinking about black entertainment in, in the minds of white executives, they're always going to be just these rap people, you know? And I just sort of find that I just find that as an excuse to just be who you are anyway. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not articulating this to the best of my ability, but I do think that there's a, there's a real problem between, you know, wanting to be respected and not getting the respect you deserve, regardless of how much you, you, you've earned it. You know, I mean, there's nothing about Ava DuVernay's movie that required that, 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 warrants the level of of condescending dismissal it's 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 gotten where even if you don't like it there's a respectful way not to like it but i don't nobody has respectfully disliked that movie as far as i'm concerned you know it has been it has been sort of rampantly disrespected and that's a problem for me like the language used to to talk about that film by people who some of whom are also critics you know, I, I don't know. I find I find that really disheartening. And, you know, I I don't know. I don't know. That's it. We, we have to we're going to talk about Wild Tales. So Wild Tales did not win an Oscar. It was up for one on Sunday. Didn't win. Lost to Ida, which is you know I I've not seen that, but uh, you see, so you, you're you're okay with that as a as a result. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm very happy with as a result. that. I mean, I liked all I I liked four of the five foreign language films very much, and I think the fifth one, uh, Tangerines, is fine. This is a, it, it's a huge hit in Argentina. Wild Tales, right? Like that's the that's the thing I always wonder about because you get this one foreign film that sort of represents the nation's kind of fil- collective sort of achievement as you know the filmmaking country. But this is a giant hit movie. I don't know how often that happens. I think you might know better than I do. Like how often, like the you know the sort of like the, the you know something you know some runaway hit movie ends up being the foreign language film nominee. Uh, but, well, it probably it happens more often than not because you can like the countries can only submit one one nominee. Mm-hmm. So there's an official selection from each country. Yeah. And typically that film is its biggest. It, it's probably its biggest hit. Right. So we would send American Sniper were we a foreign language. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Like, I always wonder about this. What would America send? You know, in writing about about Wild Tales after the Oscars, I was writing about the other foreign language nominees. I wrote about Leviathan, which is from Russia, and um, Timbuktu, which is from Mauritania by Abdurrahman Sasako. Um, and like what, you know, how, how those movies are sort of um, not characteristic of their nations, but they're about the sort of national character. You know, mm-hmm. those are movies that, that are speaking to problems in Russia and in, and, in, and in sort of Western Africa in a very specific way. And I don't know what we would send. I have no idea what we would send. I mean, I guess we'd send American Sniper, but I don't know. Maybe we'd send Grand Budapest Hotel or Selma. I have no idea. That's a really – I think about it a lot, and I never have a satisfying answer. But if, but if Spain, for instance, were the biggest 
movie making like what if india were like really was you know you know in a, in a cultural sense for the rest of the world the biggest movie industry you know in the world i mean it is the biggest movie industry in the world but uh or one of them i'm not sure if it's if it's bigger than hollywood but i mean it's certainly parallel if not if not bigger what if india like had the oscars like in in all the importance of the oscars was was happening out of bollywood and the u.s had to submit a best picture nominee what will we send what will we send to india i mean i don't know maybe we would have the uh, we would have our sort of american oscars our little american oscars and we'd, we'd be sending birdman or something it would probably be yeah oh right right we'd have a ceremony exactly that's a good point yeah really we just we'd just be like all right birdman now now go it's it's off to it's off to delhi and let's win this thing you go know? win everything <laughs> it's off to good Bombay. luck yeah, we send it off like a carrier pigeon. <laughs> Bring back some good news, Birdman. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so Wild Tales. Wild Tales, uh, it, it does reflect some things. It's it's not directly about, you know, problems in Argentina. But if you sort of, if you know anything about Argentina, if you know even a little bit about Argentina, it does kind of metaphorically, you see where a movie like this comes from and why it resonates with the people of that nation. It's a nation in which corruption is famously endemic, right? To the, you know, sort of, you know, and so this is a movie about a bunch of people who have had enough and can't take it anymore. They're not necessarily fighting back. They're not, they're not fighting back against their government really, except for there's one, you know, the, the one story that's about, you know, a man fighting bureaucracy. But it's uh, you can see how uh, you can see where that comes from, and it, it sort of it, it enriches the experience. But it's also just an incredibly entertaining movie. Apart from that, I think that makes it more. Yeah. If you, it's more fun if you know sort of where it's coming from, a little bit. But it's not like you have to really understand the you know the ins and outs of all those problems. It's enough to know that there's a you know that it's like you know the, these stories about you know someone who you know gets just as uh, mad as hell and and can't take it anymore. Um, it's hard to talk about it because it's six different stories, and it's hard to sort of sp- not spoil the individual. Yeah, things. they're all the spoilable. Fun. Yeah, no, they're yeah. built in this very sort of delicate way where there's a punch. Each story has a punchline, um, and some are like more, some are more spoilable than others. But they're all ultimately sort of predicated upon a kind of surprise somewhere toward the end. Um, and you know the the second one I would say is probably the least <laughs> is the least uh, uh, the least spoilable, um, but it's just, also yeah, the most blunt. You, you know, kind of I mean, know it's, what's going to happen. Yeah, right, right, and, right. And it does. Um, but I mean, I just I, I the six stories I think are are really, you know, the first three are over in like twenty five minutes, and they're so quick and so fast and so entertaining. The third one is a is basically like a like two guys having a road fight first in cars and then on the side of the road. And then in a way that is just hilarious in that I've never seen anything like that before. Um, I was trying to, th- have you seen anything like that before? I was trying to think like, what, what is like this? There's nothing. I've never seen this. Before. You mean in the sense of the, 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 the whole thing or the, the that sort of road well, where fight? It wins, wh- how it, how the, f- where the fight winds up. No, I mean, well, it, where it like ultimately winds up is, the 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 ending of that is just crazy and hilarious but yeah the, those sort of those close quarters fights i mean i did th- i thought about there's a really good car fight in raid 2 you know there's oh like, sure yeah there's some good inside point. the car stuff like that's that's the new you know we've had enough sort of action scenes that are using like a big 
canvas and everything. There's something about just those kind of close quarters fights. I mean, that reminded me of everybody was saying Tarantino because it's separate stories and they're all, you know, the, the, like everybody was saying Pulp Fiction with this. There's actually there was more Coens to it. To me, you know, that feels like that felt like a Coen Brothers scenario. Like that felt like some of the sort of the craziness of something like a Raising Arizona or even Fargo. Like that's real deadpan. Some of the violence in Fargo sort of that's what I thought of with that with that story in particular. Um, No, that's a good point. That's really, really good. Because, I mean, the contraption aspect of at least the especially the third story. um, And I would say a little bit the fifth, um, which is sort of a much more. which is the, the fifth? tone of that one is different. The, the fifth one is, is like the, the is death the, wish one kind of. Uh, yes, where the, there's a there's a wealthy family whose son. Oh no 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 yeah, um, yeah. I know the one you're talking about yeah yeah that's number five, um, and it's you know it's a family uh, that basically tries to buy a scapegoat for their son who for, who killed some people. Uh, by accident through vehicular manslaughter and he comes home and right. he says i did this horrible thing and then they try to you know set up they try to find somebody to take the fall for it and then it, it becomes that one goes on a little long i think it goes that i think it's not so much that it's the weakest one but it's the one whose energy is dependent on a different source than the other five you know it's it's not it isn't as physical as it's not physical at all as the the other five are like very sort of physically intense mm-hmm. stories uh where these very specific physical things happen the violent thing that that sets this story in that in action has already happened and then so it ends with <laughs> it ends very bluntly and you're kind of like whoa that's oh we're on to the number six okay <laughs> yeah. and so that's i mean the, the charges that this movie has come up against mostly involve glibness and i think that is the only that's the only piece in this movie number five where i can see that charge being leveled and not being able to argue a way out of it because it does have this shocking ending that probably deserves five more minutes of 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 dramatic follow-through but you're on to the next thing which is part of the movie's sort of barreling energy too it doesn't have time to stop and consider the consequences of some of this stuff like the end of that story is the consequence yeah. And, and, you know, there, there's another one, you know, there's another story coming up immediately. So you you don't have time to sort to sit there and really think about whether that's a bad ending until you kind of get out of it. You know? Right, right, right. It's, which is, which is fine. You know, I, I like that about, it. I like the aspect of, apparently he wrote this, uh, while the, the director, I, I, whose name I'm blanking on. Damian Sivron. Damian Sivron wrote this like in, in and around writing a bunch of other things. This was something that just kind of poured out on the side and then he sort of ended up stitching this thing together and it has that feeling it feels like it's something that came together in a way that's not this traditional way of making a movie it feels Mm -hmm. it's like what if i just took these ideas and you know it's i like it because it's like everything lasts you know i always have this complaint you know it's like when i'm you know moaning about saturday night live or whatever that it's it's not mr show that mr show everything on mr show was exactly as long as it needed to be Mm. and as soon as it ran out of steam it would end you know, right, right, whereas right. the SNL thing, there's a standard like this has to repeat three times like this bit until everybody gets it, you know, and that's like, that's the difference. Like this, it feels like, you know, these are just these ideas. Maybe they wouldn't be a whole movie, but they work, you know, in one, you know, as a sort of, you know, I want to say portmanteau, but that's wrong. You know, anyway, I like that about what it. What is the word that you're thinking of? Uh, uh, canard. Is the word? <laughs> it's a canard, Wesley. This movie, it, it, I like this. I call it a canard movie. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, no, it's great. 
it's 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 really good. I really enjoyed it. That guy, the actor who plays I said Death Wish. I was thinking of the Demolition Guy. Is a really famous oh, Argentinian Rick, actor whose name I also Ricardo don't know. Ricardo Darín. Do you know what his what is his sort of? Does he have a an opposite number in sort of American films? I was curious about that. Is this the is he uh, the Tom Hanks of Argentina? I mean, is he the no? I'd say he's the Roy Scheider oh, okay. of Argentina. Yeah, he's, except mu- a much bigger star. But he's a he's the Roy Scheider. He's only got one mode, and that is pretty much it. Like, uh, but he's a, he's. I mean, he also is very sexy. And that doesn't, I mean, this movie doesn't, this movie isn't really leaning on that too much. But I mean, he's a very sort of sexy man who also is like very masculine in this specific kind of frequently put upon way. Every, I think like every sort of, every country with a, with a, with a national cinema has a Ricardo Darín. Um, you know, I, I mean, I say Roy Scheider and I think that's a pretty good example because he's not terribly, he doesn't do comedy. I think in France it's André Dussolier. Um, who does do comedy, but is ultimately required to play these sort of like uptight, serious people, and is also sort of sexy in his way. Anyway, I, yes, you're saying about about Dadin in this. Movie. Oh, he's great. It's a really great. Yeah, sort he's of, really great. And I thought of, I just thought of Bronson. That was the you know for for various reasons, but the, you know that. The, he, but he is he's like a sexy Charles Bronson. He's like you know sort of he's got a thing going on. I don't know. Maybe maybe Charles Bronson is a sexy Charles Bronson. I, I was going to say. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to go out on this limb here, but I don't know. Charles Bronson in his prime. He's knocking on my door. There were just I'm letting him in. Way too many years, though. Of so you, you saw <laughs> oh, yes, way too much yes, of Charles yes, Bronson yes, in uh, post prime. Nineteen seventy three. I'm letting him in when I'm not even alive. I'm 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 letting him into some sort of cosmic. If cosmic he gives place. you a, a bazooka to hide, <laughs> and it's like, don't ask any questions, you'll say, okay, don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> it's in the shed. Um, but I, you know, Saffron is a really talented director. He is. I mean, you watch this movie and you just can't wait to see what he's going to do next. Um, I, I, I had. I mean, I've, I've seen this movie three times now, and every time I, I'm always surprised by how much I'm laughing. I laugh every time I watch it. Um, and I'm surprised. I mean, you know, even when I know what's coming, I find the the this movie has the best opening sequence and the best ending of a, of any movie I've seen in the last two years. I would say, um, you know, I mean, Whiplash has a great ending, but it's kind of like it's open to interpretation. It, it kicks you out of the theater in a, in a high. This the the, the last and then twenty you minutes. Think of about it afterwards. Tales. Yeah, but yes, right, I'm sorry. Right, right. The last 25 minutes of while it is the best segment. It's the one I least want to ruin. Yeah, no, I mean. But Erica Rivas uh, in this, I've never seen her in anything before. If she does not become a huge star off this 25 minute appearance in a, a foreign film that a lot of people can't even see, I guess I won't be surprised. But that should happen. She's great. She's happen. incredible. It's just it does it does really kick up another notch. Once that happens for me, like that really, I was, I was like, okay, this is impressive. I'm impressed by this. I enjoy this movie. And then like that last segment and her performance, particularly in that is just out of this world. It's incredible. It has some of the best, you know, the other thing people were saying Tarantino, like their music drops were too hip and it was too, you know, sort of too clever. There's a really good drop at the end of that sequence that I, that I love is a song that I happen to love. It's a version of a song that I happen to love. Um, the Bobby Womack version of Fly Me to the Moon. It has no, it's, it, you know, 
I, I, I didn't find any of that obtrusive. There's definitely moments. No. Like there's a moment in the car fight when the radio comes on again and there's an ironic, you know, pop song playing. But, yeah, no, it's, it's like I think those things are, those things are off face. Anyway, yeah, that ending is unbelievable. This movie's yeah. great. Please see it. It's one of my favorite movies of the last year, Wild Tales. It, it will be playing somewhere near you if it currently is not. So if you like this show, you evidently enjoy listening to a couple of critics talking about criticky things. The book I wrote about a book this week, I had some reservations about the book itself. And I think in a way, the reason I wanted to do this segment, we're over and I want to keep talking about it anyway. I want to keep talking anyway because I did want to do this segment because – uh, uh, there's a uh, Robert Criscow, the legendary rock critic Robert Criscow, for uh, 300 years, the rock critic of the Village Voice, <laughs> uh, from like literally from like 1968, I think 66, 68, something like that. He doesn't go to work for them immediately, but late 60s through 2007, eventually, finally, once the Village Voice gets bought by the New Times chain, they finally lay him off along with all of the other sort of iconic Village Voice people like Nat Hentoff and, you know, like Jay Hoberman and like all those sort of, you know, the people that you think of. Anybody that you ever associated with the Village Voice making the Village Voice what it is eventually gets laid off, including Chris Gow, who's been there for a billion years. Um, and he, you know, continues to do a version of that, uh, his famous Consumer Guide column now for Q Point, which is a medium thing. He was doing it for MSN for a while. He will do it forever. He will do it and do it and do it some more. That is part of the you know the thing that we love about him. If you care about rock criticism, this is somebody who you're aware of or like who has influenced like your fave. Somewhere along the line, there is an influence chain. He's just like he starts out. He's basically he was a rock critic when there were eight rock critics, like when you could get them all on a bus. And, you know, has mm-hmm. been doing it forever and has been a huge influence on, you know, sort of the the, the form itself and like a direct influence on, you know, the, like countless people that he's edited over the years. Um, I believe edited me one time once I was I didn't write a lot of rock things for the voice, but I there was a, once a real like professional ambition that I had to get in there. And, you know, when I finally like got my byline on those pages, it was amazing. It was a big deal. You know, it was when I had first moved to New York and I was in the Village Voice and it's, I made it. You know, obviously that's – it doesn't – I had not made it in any sense that was concrete. You can't take that to the bank, but I could take it to the bank of like of me, you know, something, something important that I did that I accomplished. That, you know. I'm coined – you just coined it. I'm going to write it down. <laughs> No, it's just one of those things where it's like you're. It's one of the rare occasions where it's like this was a thing I wanted to do, and now I, now I have done it. Like those things are the the Village Voice things. I wrote some film things later that I think are better that I wrote for the great Laura Sonagra in the Village Voice uh, film mm-hmm. section when she was running those when she was editing those uh, movie briefs. I have reviewed a lot of bad horror movies, and I think those things were you know probably pretty good. Definitely reviewed the second Fast and Furious movie. Uh, the rock stuff I did was not as good, but I remember being, I I believe I was edited by Chris Gow once. And the reason I can't elaborate on that, and I'm not sure is that I was so terrified as it was happening. I kind of black boxed that whole experience. And I don't really remember what he said. He may have said something vaguely complimentary and then kind of like uh, really interrogated all of my word choices in a way that made this piece, you know, as much better as it could get for something that was probably not that good to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And he's done that for many, many people. And he's very important in that sense. And he's also just very important in terms of the, you know, kind of the grammar of rock criticism as a form and kind of like to the extent that that is a discipline that has a formal rigor to it, which it's not necessarily because it also has it's a very anarchic form of writing and it has no, you know, a lot of, you know. A lot of that comes from Chris Gow is my point and a lot of sort of talking about it. You know, there's some great parts in this book, which is a memoir of his whole career where he talks about the early days of the forum. My, one of my favorite parts is when he talks about how they didn't have enough adjectives in the beginning to make the thing, the form work. So they had to rely on, you know, good or brilliant or things like that. And then, you know, they didn't because now, they, you know, somebody had not yet invented, you know, shimmering coruscating <laughs> all of those kind of ad pitchfork words had not right. come through the machine yet so it was you know um it is a really interesting book for that reason if you're interested in criticism at all if you're interested in the history of criticism you're interested in what new york was like in the 60s and 70s that experience it but is and there's this other thing there is another aspect to this book uh that i don't know that anybody really wanted necessarily i don't know that there's an audience for this but he really does he really does commit to making this a big part of the book and he kind of it's not i don't think he talks about every time he's had sex presumably that would make a very you know longer book maybe get repetitive but all the all the important sexes like you know if you have a top 20 you know his all the top that's all in there there's a lot of the talk about you know his sexual exploits mostly and this is the weird part it's mostly with it's mostly with two people it's mostly about his his wife of 40 years cuz a big at this point you know a sizable chunk of his life the book ends when he's like 38 or something like he or 43 like so it leaves off with you know a significant portion of his life untold and about uh, his girlfriend in the sort of what he calls the high 60s, who is a, a fellow writer and critic at the time, a rock critic, like went on to be, you know, more of a kind of a writing about politics, more of a, you know, feminist, you know, activist kind of writer. Ellen Willis, who is his girlfriend of the time, mm -hmm. the late Ellen Willis, <laughs> who we learn a lot about, perhaps more than we feel comfortable learning about somebody who has died and uh, mm -hmm. what it was like for them to have sex with them. I it's it, it's interesting. I don't know. It's a very very strange book because it, it you know it just it, it wants to honor this as like as you know being as important a part of the experience of you know his life and his sort of young manhood as anything else. But it's rather explicit. There's a lot of talk about wayward semen erections. Uh, oh, wayward not 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 like nautical semen, but no ejaculatory scene. wayward ejaculate yes mm. and it's where it goes what happens with oh, it boy things like I, that i would just he has I a just case interrupt? of penile numbness that lasts many years i'm interrupting <laughs> please i'm interrupting me, take, I'm, throw I'm, me a... I'm throwing a flag <laughs> robert crisco his subhead his 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 other appellation is dean of american rock critics is that true uh yes it is a self-applied Oh, it's self-applied. Oh yeah, no, he self oh. he talks about self-applying it. It's and and weirdly kind of lives up to it. Has lived yeah, up sure, to it over sure, the years. Sure, I mean, like sure. as you know, it's, you did feel you you did always feel in the very limited interactions that I've had with them. It was there was that you know it felt like you were talking to the you know the sort of the president of the the math department or something like that. Right. So I like you're I'm, submitting I your thesis. Yeah. Go ahead. I interrupt only to, please. To, a we have to go. 
B, I want to point everybody to robertchriscow.com because I'll put a link to it on the show page. But there lives all of these great reviews, or many of them, not all of them. They're, they couldn't possibly... I mean, they could fit all one website, but no, it's all. I mean, it's almost everything. I think that he doesn't have it? the rights to. It's one of the most complete archives. Okay. Well, there should be something like this for like Pauline Kael, for people like for other critics. It's like you wish there this existed. It's one of the great sort of critic. Websites. It's incredible. It's incredible. There's so many just very entertaining, very smart pieces of writing here that also are just like often very true, very funny, very prescient. Uh, I recommend going there, Robert Criscow, C-R-C-H-R-I-S-T-G-A-U.com. Christ uh, with a G-A-U at the end. Oh, good. It's You've a, got a jam. I, I've, I've got a jam. So, yeah, I recommend this. Basically, I recommend this book with some with some. You reservations. are recommending it. I am recommending it. I'm totally recommending it. It is it's a recommendation. Bring a prophylactic. <laughs> Just be ready. Be prepared for some TMI that you maybe are not would not be expecting from somebody else's you know, a book from from this type of book. That's what I'm saying. Be prepared for like some things that you might expect from a book by like David Lee Roth or something like that. <laughs> you know, somebody who's famous or like Tommy Lee, like somebody who's like in Motley Crue and like has had a lot of sex and is like, yeah, you know, you want to know about it. It's just one of those things where it's like, no, in this case, we actually did not. You know, uh, but other than that, you know, apart from that, which is a weird sort of it's all sort of part and parcel of the personality. And so it's all it's all there. But, yeah, if you like this sort of thing, this is a fascinating history of it. It's interesting to see how the, you know, the discipline of rock criticism evolves out of the, you know, the sort of 60s activism and you know all those things. I have a jam. I I have a jam. I have a conversation to start about something and we can sort of go on. This will be this can live on Twitter and we can talk about it later. But I have decided albums. Wesley used to have sides. People may not be aware of that. You used to have to get up and turn it over. And so that used to be a demar- line of demarcation on a record where there would be like the first six songs and the second six songs on a 12 song. Yes, album. sir. I do miss as, that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just miss it as an organizing principle of things where it's like, you know, the the, the B-side wins again. I, I sort of – this was a record that I was familiar with. I was listening to it on Saturday. It, this is the weakest song on the – what I believe to be maybe the best first side of the 1980s. Mm. We're going we're, – we're going, we're going from there. Oh, yeah. This record is you amazing. You think that's the best first side? That is an oh, incredible wow. first side of the record. It is a really good first side, this I got to say. This is Cindy Lauper's version of Prince's When You Were Mine. Wait, but you think that this is the weakest song I'm saying, on the album? Uh, no, on that, on that for, like in those first six songs, yes. right, on She's So Unusual. Yes. Uh, which is from, uh, hold on, I'm going to pull it up here. 1985. 1985. Is it five or four? I believe it's four. Let's I think it's, I think it's four. Let's see. Of course, the thirtieth anniversary did not is not. They will not tell you. Hold on, I'm getting there. Anyway, so yeah, you're October saying fourteenth. I'm saying all right. So the first side of this record, 1983. Like it's un, kind of amazing when you go down the track listing. So it's yeah, money changes everything. Classic, yes. killer, unbelievable. There's a really good, by the way, Money Changes Everything essay in the uh, new Grill Marcus book. Speaking of rock critics, 
history of rock in 10 songs has a the money changed everything is a highlight of that girls just want to have fun obviously you know self-explanatory when you were mine and then time after time that's side a okay i are you arguing that side b is better because i think side b is better side b has all through the night Mm -hmm. i'll kiss you which is a weird song and yeah yeah which ends the record i don't know i i and then the as this it has uh and side b has shebop that's that's shebop that's the first i think that's the first song it leads off side b that's right right i you're saying side b is better i'm saying side b somebody i don't know I don't know. Those are, you got two sort of epic defining. Oh, I, okay. So this is the fight a. we're going to have for the foreseeable future about <laughs> side A versus side B is, when there were in, in a type of in a format for music that no longer exists. This would be this would be the most Alex <laughs> and Wesley way for our friendship to end. Is it, no, is it, it over. we're never going to disagree. <laughs> like I think she's so unusual, is a great record. Period. But I happen to think side B is more interesting. I think Money Changes Everything is a great song. But but I think the, there are more songs by by Cindy Lauper on the second half, and I think it's That's like true. she is a like it, it reveals her to be a very interesting songwriter as opposed to an interpreter. But who's going to argue with Time After Time? Who's going to argue with with Shebop? I'm not going to argue with Time After Time. No, I did right. immediately go to my Time After Time, my uh, my step from Time After Time. I stopped and went and listened to the Enoj version of Time After Time. Oh, that's also so really so deaf good. version of Time After Time, which I that's almost really brought in. That was almost going to be my jam of the week, but I wanted to talk about Cindy Lauper. I don't have as much to say about Enoj except you know those moments. You know, that, it is that a jam though. Time After Time. Anyway. Um, Thank you we very gotta much. Go. We got to go. We've We're going to continue to have this side A, side B conversation because it is really interesting. Um, Joe Fuentes, killing it every week. We love you so much. Uh, Dave Jacoby, thanks for being awesome and constructive and insightful. Uh, Dave Alex, Jacoby's been listening to the show, by the way. I know. I, know, I don't want to out him as a Prince movies listener, but he has been. No. Uh, he said He's some things some to me. He's got some cred to maintain. That indicate to me that he has been listening to the podcast. Uh, not just. I want to say, say to my friend Charlie, not Duhigg, good luck with everything. Um, and thank you guys for listening. You're great. Uh, sorry we ran so long this week. And we'll talk to you next week. I'll see you. Talk to you later, Alex. I also want to say, I want to say, I want to send anyone out thoughts and prayers. Get well soon to Leonard Nimoy. Oh. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, get well. Leonard, Leonard Nimoy, Nimoy, get well soon. Live long and prosper. My man, Wesley, thank you very much. Bye, everybody. See you next week. Bye-bye. to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.